the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Please like the podcast and subscribe to this channel. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. Please join us for the very first Indie Pods United Convention. This online event is for both new and veteran podcasters, where we will listen and learn from each other. The online Indie Pods United Convention begins on the 29th November through until the 3rd of December 2020, featuring amazing shows and information to learn more about the great world of podcasting. For more information and to register for this unmissable event, please visit the website now, IndiePodsUnited.com. Indie Pods United Convention. Together we listen. Sponsored by Pinecast, Reset Business Consulting, the SJ Network, Rocabella, Cami, and Kelly. You know what? I just think black men are scared of black women. Looking for Love is a documentary that explores black relationships in the UK, seeking answers to difficult questions, transforming the way we think about love and relationships. You know, 50% of couples who marry this year will get divorced. Looking for Love from the award-winning director Menelik Shabazz is finally available on DVD. If I had been to a counsellor or been to a therapist, I would have dealt with a lot of those issues a lot quicker. Get yours today from lookingforlovefilm.com. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My special guest for this episode is the award-winning filmmaker who is widely considered as a pioneer of black cinema in the UK, Menelik Shabazz. Hi Menelik, welcome to my podcast series. How are you? I'm very well. Good to hear from you. So where are you residing at the moment? I am currently based here in Harare, Zimbabwe. Oh, and how are you finding it there? Um, it's been a, a fantastic experience. It's I'm now living my dream to be in somewhere where it's warm, somewhere where it's calm, somewhere on the African continent, somewhere where the people are like me, although we have a few, obviously, uh, white settlers are still here in Zimbabwe, but the country is a, it's a black country. And, uh, but it's more importantly, it's because uh, I've traveled to different parts of the continent over the years. And so this was the one place that me and my wife, we really, really liked. And uh, I have been coming backwards and forwards here over a number of years. So it hasn't just been just, you know, close my eyes and just drop into Zimbabwe. Uh, it's more, <laughs> we've been backwards and forwards here at least eight and nine times over the last, I don't know, eight, nine years. So, so yeah, it's a process. So talking about different countries, where did you grow up and what was it like? I was born in Barbados in a little town called Kendall, which is in the parish of St. John. And I was there for my first five, five years, or five, six years. And it still holds a lot of memory for me. Uh, memories of using my catapult to shoot down birds, figuring out 
how to catch birds, you know, there's ways that you can catch the birds. I knew how to catch a bird or pigeon when they were on the ground. And so as soon as the birds or the uh, pigeons enter, you would then pull the string and capture them. I had those talents, you know, I used to, I learned how to play cricket back there. And uh, I was very good at cricket, actually. Uh, I was a bad boy then, you know, run up and down. And I was influenced, I think, by the movies that we used to watch. They used to call them the mobile cinema. I ended up calling it the cowboy cinema because most of the films that they used to watch was um, westerns. Okay. And I think I kind of I kind of sided with the bad boys, you know. And so even as a young age, I'd kind of, yeah, I was a bit of a little baddie running around and people and just attitude and stuff. So... There's a lot of memories, of course, of smells and uh, memories of going on the plantations of, you know, because in those in, in the village, on the one side, you had the, where, um, the, where people live and the other side, you had the plantation, which is pretty much not far off from how it was during slavery. So my uh, family, um, I used to take, uh, my aunt used to work on the plantation and I remember taking food um, in a flask you know, they used to have corn, corn beef. was very popular at those times. And I remember taking food to her, you know, when she's cutting cane. So, yeah, I have memories of Barbados from an early age. Very um, rich. And it's also, it's, you know, being here in Zimbabwe brings me back to that time, really, where you have, um, where you are able to be in an environment where you were completely free to, uh, or in an environment which is to do with the land and to do with, connecting with nature so i'm kind of coming full circle to that life really so how old were you when you became interested in making movies and filmmaking i was about 18 it came about not with intentions uh, i didn't think about myself as a filmmaker i failed one of my uh, o-level exams i was supposed to go to art school to do graphic design and I failed one of my O-levels I needed to have. I had an A-level and I needed to have three O-levels and I only managed to get two. So it meant I'd failed to get into the uh, Canterbury College of Art and Design, I think it was at the time. And um, so I felt, you know, it's a bit of a setback, I felt. And then I had to go to a college to retake them. And it's in that moment, in that time, when I went back to, when I went to college to retake my O-levels, um, North London College, there was a class that we all had to attend, which was kind of, um, what they call it, social studies or something like that. And these white guys came in with this equipment, which was a kind of revolutionary equipment at the time. It was a kind of reel-to-reel, uh, they call it a porter pack. It was Sony produced it. And it was, it was a revolutionary equipment in that time because now you were able to film on, like a, it was like a reel-to-reel tape and a camera was uh, attached to it, a small camera. And up until that time, all the cameras in the industry were big, big cameras that you, you know, you couldn't kind of, they were not portable. And so it meant that you had to be really in that circle to really know and get into that. And so I would never have been able to get into the film industry without being introduced to this piece of equipment, because then it meant that I could access it, go out and they put us into groups and we, and I did a little film with some groups there. I was excited by that experience. And uh, I wanted more. And then, you know, I moved around with these guys. They were in Camden. They had a whole little setup. And, um, and I kind of really got hooked into using this equipment to tell stories because I'd come in, I was really coming out of a, uh, 18. I was very much in the Black Power movement. I was a radical with an organization and I was very much keen to say things. And, and I saw in this equipment 
the possibility. And so from that, it led me to wanting to do more stuff and stuff a bit more professional because this one, these guys I was moving around, like, they were kind of into de deconstruction of film and cinema, which basically meant that the camera would move around and do all kinds of different things. And, and I kind of wasn't really, you know, interested in going in that direction um, because I knew that my audience that I wanted to make films for or make things for wouldn't really go for that kind of style. Uh, I remember the, the moment came when I was going to do a film and I was squatting at the time. I was squatting. We took over a house in West Hampstead. Me and um, one of, well, that was a plan. And then we found someone who was already in a squat. Alice, she was an African-American in a squat in a house and she had a space. And I went in there and left home at 18 as well and went in that space. And Alice was at film school, London film school. And I said to Alice, Alice, you know, I'm doing this film and I want you to come and shoot it. And I don't want to shoot it like, the, you know, up and down, you know, you're at film school, so you're a bit more professional and all of that. So she said to me, Menelik, kind of lighting do you want? What kind of, all these questions, I had no idea what she was talking about, what type of lighting and so on. And she said, I should go to film school. In fact, no, before she said that, she said, um, when I asked her, do you, you know, to shoot this film for me, she said, I don't want to be your donkey, Menelik. So the best thing you do, because I didn't have a knowledge. So eventually, you know, she, she was kind of concerned that she would be doing everything because I didn't know anything um, that much other than have an idea in my head. And so she suggested I go to film school and the one that she was at, London Film School, and it kind of, and then I applied, got in for a period of time. And that was how the film opened up for me. Um, this piece of equipment, me failing my, my exams and me squatting with Alice, who's passed away. She passed away about over 15 years ago now. She, she was from Philadelphia and she was here studying and stuff and she went back and all of that. And she, yeah. But uh, so these were the kind of players and shaping me in terms of me thinking of myself in terms of film. So in 1976, you directed Step Forward Youth. So how did that happen? It happened, I came out of film school. I was there for a short time, really, because my film school experience was, um, I had to, it was a discretionary grant that was being offered, which meant I had to get a funding from my local council. And it was a discretionary grant. And it was a postgraduate course because, you know, and I hadn't even had a degree. Anyway, they, they, it took them six months to decide. And I was at the film school in that period of time. And that was a very decisive period because I was, again, amongst filmmakers, amongst people from all around the world, filmmakers who'd come. And, um, and I was, uh, my passion was being fed. Once I came out of that, I saw my, I had the confidence because the thing about when you were coming from, I guess, working class background and you're entering into a kind of very middle class environment, it's about confidence. And so, yeah, coming out of film school, I had the confidence and I just wanted to make a film. I was particularly inspired or I was influenced by the way in which the media was targeting young black men at that time. It was this whole media onslaught about muggings and so on. And this was the beginnings of how young black men became targeted. And and so you would see TV programs, you know, like Panorama and all the other programs that would be doing films or um, or programs on crime and the emergence of young black, the mugging, the mugging scare, which the, the newspapers were really all over. And so, um, so I wanted to make a film which was to challenge the idea that young black men were criminals. And, and so Step Forward You was the result, really. And that film opened me up 
to go to Festac in Nigeria in 1977. Greatest experience I've ever had. So was that a documentary then? Yes, it was a documentary and it was a documentary that was shot. In those days, I was shooting on 16mm film, no video. Even though I'd kind of started out with this little portal pack video equipment, I then, by the time I got into film school and came out, I was like on the professional st- you know, st- stairway. So we were shooting 16mm film, uh, which had to be processed and had to go to labs and you had to get prints and then you had to, the sound was separate from the film and, uh, and you were cutting on equipment, which was uh, very different. So, uh, yeah, it was shot on film and it was so expensive. Those films were a can of like, for, for we call it 400 feet worth of 16 mil film. It was 10 minutes and they were going for 80 pounds per 400 feet in those days. And uh, so I remember I had to really coach people I interviewed in that film, apart from the, the, the discussion group. I had to really coach or, or kind of be very careful because I knew every bit of minute that was passing was costing mm-hmm. me money. So I had to go and make sure I kind of have a clear idea of what they're going to say. So, yeah, that was the that, But that also gave me discipline of, of what, to, what to ask for and not to waste, waste footage. Your first feature-length film, Burning an Illusion, that was released in 1981. So how did you manage to fund that project? And what is that movie about? Burning an Illusion was financed through the British Film Institute. They gave me some money to develop a short story um, I had at the time. And then that short story led me to actually just write a movie. I didn't didn't plan it. I didn't think I was going to make a movie. Uh, It's just, as I started to write, it just opened up and opened up, and that, and that's what I ended up with. And they gave me the money to make the film. Again, I was in the right place at the right time. It's all like that. You know, everything was just stacking up for me. All the stars were lined up for me at that moment. Um, and uh, Burning Illusion was a story about a young woman who was looking for love, and she was kind of caught up in the Mills and Boons type of uh, Mills and Boons stories, those romantic novels uh, of the time. Uh, which were very Western, Europeanized stories. And she goes on a journey where she meets a young man and who she thinks that she can make the life with and things are going all right for. And then he moves in with her, he has issues. And those issues and what happens to him pulls her into a world that she wasn't really expecting to be in. And in that, and being pulled into that world, she then has to confront her illusions this kind of romantic idea of love as a black woman in the UK was an, was an illusion. And so she has to confront that um, burn her illusions. And, and coming out of that, she becomes a conscious black woman. Stories about her going on a journey of consciousness. So fast forwarding a few years to 1998, you founded the Black Filmmaker magazine, BFM. And that was the first black film publication in the UK or maybe even in the world. So why did you decide to begin that particular venture? The BFM or Black Filmmaker magazine came about after I had decided pretty much to drop out of the film industry. And I was very angry and not and frustrated that even though I had made a movie, I was not able to go any further with my career um, in drama. And so I came on upon the idea 
that I should just do a, a magazine for the next generation in a way, and also to give a, a voice to filmmakers who I knew, not just here, but around the world. Because um, one of the things that Burning Legion did, it took me to film festivals around the world. So I was able to meet up with a lot of different filmmakers. And, um, and who had all these films and no one was talking about them. And also the film industry was uh, TV and film, always saying, oh, we don't know about any black filmmakers. You know, we haven't seen them. We don't know that they exist and all of that. So it was really to counter a lot, you know, that kind of negativity, but also to promote and create a positive vibration impact to new talents to know that there are filmmakers out there and this is the work that they're doing. So the magazine came about um, for a number of reasons, you know. So in 2011, you released The Story of Lovers Rock. So what inspired you to make that particular movie? Uh, Lovers Rock came about at a point when I had decided to come back into the industry. I'd been in Nigeria for a bit, and I was inspired by the fact that people there were making films on all kinds of small, all kinds of low-level equipment compared to what I was exposed to in the UK. And they were making films. But the trigger for Lovers Rock came about when I saw an advert in the Voice newspaper. And it was an advert for the Lovers Rock Gala Awards Castro Brown was doing. And it had all the list, it had all the reggae artists, all the Lovers Rock artists from, you know, it was like a Bible of all the artists. And, and so for me, I said to myself, you know, this is a historic moment because these artists are now moved on in life. And this is kind of their last kind of hooray almost in the sun. And it needed, I felt it needed to be documented because Lover's Rock was not a genre that was popular in terms of the reggae genre, in terms of how people saw reggae. And, you know, Lover's Rock was way down the list in terms of, you know, its respect. And so, yeah, it, I just felt I needed to document that film. I mean, the, the, the show. Um, and then I spoke with Castro and we came to an agreement and uh, I, you know, I, I, I documented it. I got the cameras and number of cameras to just do the show. Uh, I wasn't really thinking about film at that point. Uh, I was just thinking about documenting it from a historical perspective. I'd done a similar kind of approach when I did Blood of Garan um, in the 80s um, after Burning an Illusion. I, did the, I documented the New Cross March and about People's Day of Action. Anyway, so it, it was kind of... In that kind of groove, I thought we need to document this. And then once we did the show, I just thought mm, maybe this, you know, there can be some other elements I can maybe add to this and make this into something a bit more. I add, you know, do some more interviews and and so on. So it kind of one thing led to another. So it came uh, out of doing the show and then thinking after the show, you know, what, why don't we just do a film, tell the story? So yeah, so one step led to another step. From the beginning, I didn't really think about it as a film. Well, you mentioned the theme of love earlier and burning an illusion. And you then decided to make uh, Looking for Love, which was uh, released yeah. in 2015. So what made you return to that theme? Mm -hmm. What made you want to explore love and relationships in the black community? Again, I think I, I was at an event and a woman got up and she was and the, and the event wasn't about love or not it was just about young people he's coming here and talking to young people so anyway the woman got up and she said she's in her 20s and she can't find a man uh, and talked about the challenges that she was kind of having there was a moment prior to that i was thinking of doing something about relationships and 
what was happening, but it kind of didn't really take set. And so when I was hearing her talk, it kind of really then focused me, especially looking at young people and what was going on, because it, 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 yeah, it drew my attention to the fact that young people were going through these challenges. And, uh, and so that then was a spark for me to say, okay, let me explore what's happening in the relationships. And the more people I talked to, the more people were giving me all kinds of stuff. And that was really the spark. Generally, there has to be a spark for me to do stuff because I have a lot of ideas. The idea has to catch a fire. That moment caught my imagination in terms of making it as opposed to having an idea around it, which I had before. I made some notes and stuff about relationships, but yeah, that was a moment. Last year, you released the feature documentary Pharaoh's Unveil. So what motivated you or what sparked you to make that particular documentary? Pharaoh's Unveil was a stepping into a whole new area of film and spirituality and history and also the concept of channeling. Pharaoh's Unveiled was culmination of a quest that I had since I was about 14, 15. The quest was to understand the black man's place in the world. What is his story? And I had gone on a number of journeys, religious, spiritual, historical, to understand what is our story? Why is it that we are where we are as a people? Why is it that things continue to be the same? Why is it that our history is so difficult? The true history is so difficult to find. And trying to read between the lines of a lot of books that were written by mainly white men, uh, historians, who had been documenting our story for hundreds of years and with very similar narratives and so on. And we hadn't had much to respond. Uh, I was also on a journey myself, which the last film I did, Looking for Love, was also involved in, in that I was on a journey to healing self, which is why I was able to, I didn't mention that, the other element of looking for love was the fact that I was on a journey of healing and I began to understand the necessity of healing self and coming to that consciousness because I had a lot of difficulties in relationships and couldn't figure out what was the reason behind all of that. So on that journey as well, yeah, I was in a place to pull together a lot of the knowledge um, and also running alongside all of that, I was being exposed to channeled information. People know what channeled information is. It's information that comes from, um, they also call it clear audience, someone who can connect with the ancestral world and bring forth information. And so I was um, also on that journey and as the way, because I realized that one of the, well, the only way that we're actually going to be able to get real source of information is through this way. And we had accumulated a lot of information in this way through, and we recorded the information or, and we produced a book, uh, Conversation with a Black Man's God. That was the first entry into that. That was in 2007. So that was another track I was running in the background. And so I knew that this information had to get out into the world. Um, but the question was how, how to do it and to figure out a way to do it. And so Pharaoh's Unveiled was a culmination of my quest 
It was also the culmination of the work that we've been doing in the background with all this channeled information from the ancient Kemetians, pharaohs, kings and queens and others. And so for me, I knew somehow I have to put this into film. I have to bring it out. And it's, I knew it was ahead of its time because a lot of the people weren't even familiar with channeling and understanding what all of that was about. And then to present information through them, through this way, was something that had never been done before in the history of film. There's never been a film that presents information that comes directly from the ancestral world to the public, uncensored in that way. And so it's breaking ground. And so, so it was a culmination of that. And then the spark would have been one of the, the, the revelations that we had, which was so powerful that I just thought, we've got to come on now. It's time. Put this stuff out. And so, you know, I think it was Akhenaten, one of his uh, revelations that he came through with. And then we then had others. So, yes, yeah, so that really was why, how, and the spark for Pharaoh's Unveiled. So during your career, you've received several awards, including one for the story of Lover's Rock. So which award are you most proud of and why? The first award I got was for Burning an Illusion at the Amiens Film Festival in France. So I guess that's probably still the most important one. I won the Grand Prix, Grand Prize, the big prize, because it's, um, it's, I guess, the biggest festival to be awarded, that I was awarded from. Proud, I don't know, I don't use those words. I just think it's a festival. And, you know, they recognize my work and I'm appreciating that they've given me an award, but it doesn't really go. I'm not really looking for awards when I'm doing my work. Of course, you know, some of those things may be useful, but I don't really look on it in that way so much. And I've won awards, you know, about three or four, three or four, five awards. I can't remember how many. You're not keeping score then? Not really, no, because I'm not doing the work that I'm doing for that. I'm doing the work. My work is to raise the consciousness and awareness of my people and others who come into that. That's just, so I'm doing my work. My proudest moment is when I, we had the first screening of Burning an Illusion to a packed house in, uh, at the Commonwealth Institute. That was one of the biggest moments for me. And, and the second one was also when we had a similar one in Lover's Rock at the BFI. Again, m- amazing experience. So those are the ones that are my prizes in the sense that I look at it that way. I mean, my awards, put it that way, in that when I see my people respond to my work in that way, then that's where I get the most pleasure, not from getting an award from somebody out there. Um, so, yeah, those are the moments. And there have been a few others where we've had, I mean, Lovers Rock was a real major journey when we were at, I think, the Rio. We ran there for six Fridays and it was just full out every time. And just going to screenings where you're having big audiences coming out eating their popcorns in mainstream cinemas. These were the things that I treasured, yeah, these moments. So what projects have you got lined up for the future? I have a few. The one I'm currently on is The Spirit's Return, which is following in the same path as Pharaoh's Unveiled, where I am, through the channel, bringing to life the story of ancient Zimbabwe. And it's more than just the story of ancient Zimbabwe. It's also the story of Zimbabwe and how, what's, what this place is really about on a spiritual level. Um, and also what it, what it, how special this place is where a lot of people don't actually know. Um, but you can't understand that without going back into its past and, and unraveling it. And so it's, um, so that's my next project uh, I'm working on, um, The Spirit's Return. The second one I'm working on, just starting to get into that, is a, documentary on the artist 
one of our master artists, um, Alvin Kofi. So, um, so yeah, and then there was a few that may or may happen after that. But those are the two ones that are actually in the process of doing. So, Menelik, how can people contact you? Well, they can reach out to me on all the different platforms, on my Facebook, on my Twitter, on my Instagram, uh, on my website. Uh, I have a newsletter where I put out as well. Uh, my website is all the W's, my name, menlikshabaz.co.uk. If people want to see some of my works that I've been doing, they can go onto my YouTube channel, which is uh, Menelik Shabazz Films on YouTube. Not all the films are on YouTube because uh, some of the films like Lovers Rock, um, Time and Judgment, Fear Was Unveiled, Burning and Illusion, you have to pay for. So they're on another platform and where all of my films are, all the W's, Vimeo, W-I-M-E-O dot com forward slash Menelik Shabazz. That's where you can get all of my films in one place on that platform. And the YouTube channel is where you get most of all of my free content really is on there. Veteran filmmaker Menelik Shabazz, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. If you are interested in being a guest on the In Conversation podcast series, please visit the website author Nigel Beckles podcast.com. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Another In Conversation podcast coming soon.